Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 85 of the Built on Purpose podcast, brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose aligned and performance proven leaders. Speaking of, today our guest is Andy Maurer, founder and CEO of Pursue Whole. By trade, Andy is a leadership coach and former therapist. Andy, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Hey, Max. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, just to give the audience a little background, uh, Andy and I have met and uh, we have Spent quite a bit of time together. I was coached by Andy, gosh, was it two or three years ago? It was about three years ago. About three years ago. Yeah. Life-changing coaching sessions with Andy. Uh, I think we, it was a six-month stint. And then he also came in and he facilitated the stuff from, from with my YPO forum with nine other CEOs. We absolutely loved it. It really brought a lot of closeness uh, and authenticity and allowed us to go deeper afterwards. So Super grateful uh, for Andy and what he's done in the past, and I'm excited uh, with the, what we're going to have in the conversation today. Thanks, Max. Awesome. Well, let's start. Uh, tell us about Pursue Whole. Tell us you know, what you and your team are doing at Pursue Whole, and uh, we'll kind of start from there. I've got a lot of questions and, and places to go, but I want to just tee that up first just to get you going here. Yeah. Before I tell you what we do at Pursue Whole, I think it's important that we step back and I tell you why we built Pursue Whole. And, you know, 20 years ago, I was working as a personal trainer. I had my own company. I would train uh, employees. I would train leaders up in Scottsdale and Paradise Valley. I would go to their home. And I really enjoyed that part of the business. I went to school for personal training and exercise and wellness. So I had a really good understanding of the body and the brain and how it worked together. Well, as I went through that process, working with leaders and employees and teams, I recognized that there's only so much you can do on the physical side. Um, what's really driving someone's overall health is the emotional, what's going on on the inside. So I went back to school and actually got my therapy degree. And I got two masters at the same time, actually around therapy, trauma and leadership. And I started working with leaders as a licensed therapist. And two things were revealed really quickly when I stepped into that industry. The first is that I, I realized I had a really unique ability to see and understand the inner life of these leaders. So I would spend 15 to 20 minutes with these leaders, hear them, see them, know them, and piece things together that they had spent years trying to figure out. You know, what do I feel? What's going on on the inside? How do I get over these emotionally difficult relational dynamics that are happening? And I would build it with about 95% accuracy, paint a picture of what's going on and how we're going to resolve that. The second thing that was going on for these leaders was there was a huge gap in the market for them that didn't serve them well. So they had really two options that they could go to when they're struggling. They had executive coaching, which the majority of them went to. And there's a lot of benefits to that from strategy, from team dynamics, from leadership dynamics. But typically, executive coaching is a lot of what we call above the line. It's strategic, it's functional, it's operational. Leadership coaches don't have the clinical training to address below the line issues, what's going on in the subconscious and the emotional and the relational dynamics. So they had executive coaching. And then the second option was that they had therapy. And it's notorious when I talk to leaders and they go see a therapist, it can be really helpful. But therapy is so focused on issues and diagnosis and problems 
they don't know how to help the leader cast vision. They don't know how to help the leader um, understand their world of leadership. So therapists are very problem focused and have a difficult time specializing with leaders. So there's really gaps in these two different options. And that's really why we started Pursue Whole was to bridge that gap. And Pursue Whole, we say, is the powerful integration of therapy and executive coaching for high-level leaders, addressing both the emotional and their functional barriers to success. And as a way to accomplish this vision, we really work with three types of leaders, high-level leaders in business, entertainment, and professional sports. And we help them pursue wholeness in their life, leadership, and relationships. Now, we do this really through three primary channels that pursue wholeness gets into kind of what we do, but three primary channels and how we help them pursue wholeness is the first is through individual and group coaching. So I run a CEO leadership group. I also do individual coaching. The second is through our digital content, our podcasts, our digital content. And this year that we're really fleshing out for leaders to participate in and digest. And then the third is through speaking and trainings, which is what we talked about, Max, around YPO and coming to different leadership groups and really opening up some of these ideas of what it means to be an emotionally whole leader. So that's a little bit of backstory on why we started Pursue Whole, the gaps that we saw in the market for leaders, and then what we do at Pursue Whole. Awesome. That's great. I was going to ask, I was going to ask the question of how you arrived at the business model, but you got there uh, before I could get there. One thing that I've absolutely loved, Andy, and I'll just get in, jump in there now, is uh, now that you've had the chance to work with a lot of leaders, we are meeting each other now. And when we mm-hmm. meet each other, it's like this, it's just like a different bond that we have because we know what we've all been through, through, uh, you know, through the coaching you know program. And so mm-hmm. it's been a really neat thing. There's been, you know, a handful of folks, I won't, I won't get into it. I know it's not, you know, since it's not clinical, we could talk <laughs> about people, but We'll stay away from uh, uh, exact names, but I'm right. just, I want to share with you. It's just been such a, uh, it's been so fun to, to meet different folks. In fact, I was at my YPO. Again, I won't get into specific names. Somebody that's being coached right now and he asked, uh, he asked if I was coached by you and just confirmed it. And then it was just a whole different connection level from there. So I got to tell you, this has been, um, this has been ops- uh, very awesome. I'm looking to jump in. The other thing, um, as you're talking and, one thing that Andy and I recently uncovered, or at least I did, maybe Andy did a long time ago, was obviously he's helping leaders, you know, really with some of the biggest challenges or things that they'll ever face that they've never ever been through before. And, and these are huge challenges. Well, us at Y Scouts, we're helping leaders with big challenges too, because most of the time a leader's challenge has to do with how they're performing professionally and they need to hire a key person. And so we're starting to figure out that a lot of times uh, our clients are the same people, which has been a fun thing and kind of how yeah. we arrived where we're at today, which is awesome. Um, I'm going to say, I want to, I want to, um, I, I want to uh, read a sentence out to you. I mean, this is directly from, you know, from you guys. And I just kind of want you to give a little backstory on it. Yeah. Um, and it is, we believe that leaders have the power to change the world, but whole leaders have the power to change it for the better. Tell me, talk to me about what that means to you. Yeah, this is directly tied to to my story and my co-founder, my wife, Charity. She's our chief strategy officer, also our co-founder. And our stories, you know, have a lot of beauty to them. They have a lot of resiliency and growth, but there have been leaders in our life who instead of pouring in life, love and growth into us, they took life. Maybe they were more narcissistic or egotistical or just 
really chaotic leaders. And instead of pouring in life, they took life. And we just stepped back and we realized, you know, for me, thinking long term, I have three boys, um, eight, six, and two, Achilles, Cyrus, and Maximus. And for my boys, as they grow up, I have to think about what kind of leaders do I want my children to sit under? And I really want them to sit under those leaders who are emotionally whole, emotionally aware, and who love and lead well. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of those leaders out there because leaders are so focused on performance that they 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 neglect their own emotional health and they neglect relational health in that process. So the reason why we have that statement on leaders are going to change the world is because I will look out and I work with hundreds of leaders and every single one of them is changing the world around them. If you're a leader out there, you can't help through your money, through your success, through your influence, through your performance, change your family, change your relationships, change the world around you. The question, though, is are you going to change that for good and in a positive way? Or are you going to bring a sense of destruction or decay to that world? And we believe that all leaders are going to change the world, but it's those leaders who pursue wholeness, those leaders who do the deep work to know themselves and know others, they're going to change the world actually for the better. And those are the types of leaders that we love pouring into because those are the types of leaders that I want my children to sit under when they come when they come into business, entertainment, or professional sports. Awesome. Awesome. Makes a ton of sense. Let's jump into this is a, for me, one of the first things that I learned when I first met you of of why you know this type of coaching was needed. Kind of that, you know, you talked about normal executive coach above the line. Well, there's stuff below the line, and, and I think the easiest way for me when I explain it to people, and they're like, "Hey, so yeah. what's the, you know why did why do you need this type of coaching?" Was the topic around how high performing leaders in a lot of, a lot of times are cramming down their feelings and emotions for so long as they go through day to day and stressful things at work that they begin to just almost flatline where they don't even realize that they have this they they don't even really understand their own emotions they can't identify them. Yeah. Talk about that. To me, that was eye-opening. It hit very much to home. As you know, we work together and we work through a lot of that stuff. Uh, but uh, tell me about that. I mean, that that to me, uh, because I see so much of it, because this is all I do is I work with folks that, you know, they're absolute machines. They're they're getting so much stuff done, but you never know what's underneath it all. And I think one, what's underneath it all a lot of times is this um, this idea of them cramming down their emotions where they just really don't have any emotions anymore. So talk to me about that. Yeah, absolutely. Biologically, our body needs to release energy externally. Okay. And we do that a lot of different ways. We do that through physical movement. Tears are a way that we do that where the body has this kind of buildup of energy and tears are oftentimes if people have a breakthrough or they have uh, tears come out, there's this sense of relief this release that they feel, the sense of relief that they feel. There's other, I won't get into this, but biological things our body does that have a release component of, uh, of getting things out of our body. And um, emotion is one of those things, okay? So if emotion is happening, whether it's anger, fear, or sadness, biologically, that needs to move its way out through your body, either through your words of saying, hey, I feel scared, I feel anxious, I feel angry. Or physically through your body, you can go on a run or you can kind of move it out through exercise or you can push against the wall or you can have tears come out. But when we push those down and leaders do two things, they either run away from what they feel and they seek performance or they push down what they feel, that emotion, which naturally needs to come out biologically, gets locked inside and over time it implodes. Okay. 
So we have uh, an implosion inside, and what that causes is a sense of burnout, a sense of discouragement. We have physical blow-ups or emotional blow-ups with the people in our life, these kind of volcanic eruptions. We go into depression, and what depression means is to depress. At the basic definition, to depress means to push down. So we have these emotions that naturally want to come out. What do we do? We push them down because we believe if I express them and share them, two things are going to happen. Either people are going to distrust my leadership, they're going to think I'm weak, or they're going to see my emotion and they're going to go, oh God, I really don't want to be around that person. I didn't know he was that anxious. I didn't know he was that sad. I didn't know he was that afraid. So we have this natural building that needs a release and we need safe places to process that. When we don't, it gets stuffed and that ultimately leads to burnout and exhaustion. And you have a lot of these leaders who are extremely successful. They've built, you know, $500 million, billion dollar companies. And yet if you sit down with them, life feels very colorless. It feels very flat. And what we know about emotion is you can't selectively numb emotion. So if you don't like sadness and you try to numb that, well, you're also going to numb excitement and joy at the same time. You can't take one emotion and bring it down. You take all those emotions and bring them down. So life becomes very colorless. It becomes very flat. And one amazing thing that happens when leaders start to do this work and they start to name what they feel, face what they feel, communicate what they feel, and acknowledge that they actually feel things. It brings back a lot of color to life. Some of the language that a lot of my leaders have used is, you know, before I did this work, I felt like life was very flat and numb and colorless. And after I did this work, I feel like life has a lot more color, a lot more vibrancy, a lot more life to it and excitement. And it's because they felt some of the harder emotions, which unlocked those emotions of excitement and joy and purpose and meaning. You cannot have purpose, joy, and meaning, and peace, and calm, and excitement without also facing and feeling fear, loneliness, anxiety, depression, sadness. It, it's impossible. Absolutely. And uh, now that you've worked with hundreds of uh, leaders, talk about where are these people currently at? Like, I mean, and I, I know they're all different places, and you're meeting at different spot places, but Give me an idea of like the type of person they, they are, like, like where they're currently at, where they're maybe stuck, maybe the same language patterns that they have, maybe the same challenges they're going through. But what do they first identify in order to go through a process in order to uncover and be able to identify emotions and be able to identify them both internally and externally? That's a great question. I wish that people came to this type of work because they just want to feel better, but oftentimes we pursue growth through pain. We believe at Pursue Whole that pain is a pathway to growth. That's one of our mottos. And oftentimes leaders come into the work, this work because there's some emotional, relational, or functional pain in their life that they can't figure out. It could be communication with the spouse, or it could be disconnection from the kiddo. It could be, I feel a lack of energy inside. It could be, I'm going to work every day and I'm bored out of my mind. I have everything I want in life, but I feel a sense of loss. Uh, sense of I don't have a sense of purpose and meaning that life feels bland. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons why leaders come in, but the leaders that we love to work with the most are really those leaders who have spent the majority of their life pouring out for other people. We don't love working with the egotistical, narcissistic leaders who don't even know the impact, negative impact they're having. The leaders we love to support are those who spent their whole life just giving and pouring and showing care and having high ethics and values and character, they actually really want to do better. But in that process of pouring out, they forgot about 
number one. They forgot about themselves. So they've lived their whole life of pouring out and becoming whatever people wanted or whatever the business needed them to become or whatever board members wanted them to become. And in that process of pouring out and giving, they've lost a sense of, oh my gosh, who am I? What do I want? What do I need? Where am I headed and why? They've lost their identity because their identity has been linked to what other people want them to become or what the business needed them to become. And really, that's a primary reason why leaders come in. They don't know that off the front end, but as we start to talk, we realize, oh my goodness, they don't have an identity. Their identity is always built in their performance. And because of that, when the business is doing well, they feel great and on top of the world. And when the business goes down, they feel horrible. When their marriage is going well, they feel great. When their marriage is going bad, it's a very codependent lifestyle of these ups and downs. And uh, part of that is because their identity is attached to people and things and success instead of attached to kind of some core essentials on the inside. And that's really what we work on with our leaders. And this gets into a little bit of kind of how our process works. Now, what we do with our leaders over that six-month process is they all walk away with a one-page document, which clearly defines the five-year vision of who they want to be as a leader. What is their vision for that? What do they want to feel on the inside? What do they want to make people feel when they're in their presence? Then we talk about their core motivation. We give them some IM statements about who they are as a person. And we talk about the tribe that they need in their life in order to get to where they're headed. So this is a one-page document. I actually sat down and read mine this morning. And it was extremely grounding to me and anchoring because it told me who I am, why I'm here, and where I'm headed. And it tells me who I need to invest my time into, who am I, what's my core motivation, and what lifestyle I'm seeking to live. And this is a whole lot less about, um, this is not a business plan. This is a self-identity and purpose plan. And this is a very difficult exercise for leaders because they've never done this type of work. They've always built businesses and they've done things for other people. But when they sit with them and they say, what do you want? How can I help support you? They're like, oh, gosh, I don't know. So one, leaders really struggle to say they need help. And then two, they really struggle to let someone pour into them, which is why I love what I do, because they don't have anyone else in their life. They're constantly pouring out, but I get this unique opportunity to sit with them, to see them, to know them, and to be that one person in their life to really pour into them and help them succeed and unlock barriers and grow as a person. Absolutely. And obviously, I've, I've been on the receiving end of that, and it's incredible. It's also, um, you, you have to be ready. I'd say, you know, some of, after some of the sessions, I was exhausted after some yeah. of the sessions, but that's, I think when you know, you're, you know, you're, you're pouring into it and, and you're doing the right things and things are coming out of it, uh, the right way. Do you feel like, I mean, and I think this is a kind of a rhetorical question, but I'm more like, I, I talk to people a lot about this on this podcast. I ask this question a lot and most people say yes. And, and I believe them. But I, I can't wait to ask you this question and then the answer is why. But do you found, feel like you found your purpose in this work and why? I mean, I think that you obviously, you know, changing people's lives mm -hmm. and there's a, such significant impact that you have. But kind of tell me, you know, do you feel like you have found it where you're what you're doing now? And then tell me why that is. Yeah. Who I am built to be. So I have my IM statements right in front of me and I'll just read them. So. One is, I'm an emotional man. My tears are my friend. This allows me to connect with the deepest joys and pains inside of myself. Number two, I am a visionary leader. I see what could be, not what is. 
This allows me to break archaic molds and create vibrant futures. And three, I am an adventurous child. I am drawn to wonder, curiosity, and play. That is who I am, and especially that emotional man piece. My ability to see men and women and to be able to connect with the deepest parts of who they are and to be able to map that out and understand that, I'm in my sweet spot right now. What I do as a coach and what I do in Pursue Whole, that is uniquely tied to who I am, the why behind it. I share that right at the beginning with my kiddos and what I want for their future and also where we come from and what we saw with leaders. My why is synced up super well with who I am and my overall vision. And I'll just read this off of my big vision as well. This is the first paragraph and it says, when people are in my presence, they feel seen, known, and heard in a way that heals their deepest aches and pains. I meet people empty and I leave them whole as a response to the overflow of love that I feel on the inside. And it goes on through this whole kind of three paragraphs here. But what I'm describing here is it took me a long time to get here. But uh, I had to really own who I am and how I'm built and then sync that up with what I do. And I, I truly believe that I found that sweet spot and uh, very grateful for that. And one of the freedoms that comes with that, um, Max, because I've had a lot of people say, you know, pursue whole is your baby. I know you don't want to adjust it or change it. And I said, I don't really care about pursue whole. Pursue whole is, is just a, a vehicle that's going to help me get to where I want to be on this vision and mission for leadership. What I want to give to leaders, pursue whole is just a box that helps me do that. If pursue whole is not there in five years from now, I don't care. I'm still going to be doing the exact same thing, the exact same reasons and believe the same things about myself. And that gives me immense amount of freedom in kind of the changes that we make in pursue whole. My identity is not tied to this business called pursue whole. My identity is tied to who I am and why I do what I do. And that can fit in another company that can fit in pursue whole that can fit in a lot of different vehicles, but I know who I am, where I'm headed and why I'm doing it. And that is an extremely anchoring thing for me. And, and I can, uh, I think we can all see it. I mean, obviously I've got to do, I got to, uh, I got to work with you firsthand. So, uh, the audience that's listening, if you ever have the, the chance, uh, I, I highly recommend it if you're open to actually going through the work because there is, it is some, uh, a bit of heavy lifting. There's something that you told me that really stuck with me. And it almost is like uh, there's some humor in it, but it's not really that funny, but there is some humor in it. And it's, you, you, you'll, you'll know this statement when I start reading it, but it's something about, uh, you're like, oh, your dad didn't regularly talk to you about emotions and how you feel and, and like feelings and all those types of things. Almost like kind of kidding around because I think that the answer to that question for most men, um, and I'm not going to say all, but most men is like I, our parents, you know, especially based on my age, I'm 47. So, you know, you could do the math and uh, yeah. dad would be, you know, probably 75. But that, it feels like that. And again, I don't want to stereotype everybody, but I feel like that generation, like our parents' generation, mm-hmm. It just wasn't really a thing. Uh, but talk to me about that because I, I, the way you say it, I always kind of laugh. I'm like, yeah, it, <laughs> I don't think many, many parents do. Many parents don't have, uh, you know, dads like you that have the knowledge they have in order to talk about those things or they're armed even. Right. Right. And I'll be the first to say as a dad, I make my fair share of mistakes with my boys. I'm not always emotionally in tune. I try really hard, but. One thing as a parent, I think this is important for our listeners to know, is you don't need to get it right all the time, but you need to be really good at repairing the fractures that you do make. And that is something that I wouldn't say that parents are great at, our parents that we grew up with. It's like, do what I say, 
not what I do and don't question me. There wasn't a lot of, hey, I made a mistake. I apologize. How can I do better? And for me, that's really the lifestyle that I want to live. So saying that as a caveat that I'm in this with you, Max, and I'm trying to figure out this thing called parenting and life with you and all these other leaders. Now, with that said, on this idea of having fathers who are not emotionally attuned or parents who are not emotionally attuned, a lot of leaders will just pass that off as, you know, that didn't really impact me. My dad never asked me how I felt. And and I, I asked them this question. I say, with your child, who's 5 or 10 or 15 or 2, would you be okay if you um, were emotionally disconnected from them? What do you want them to feel? And they're like, well, I want to feel connected to them. I want them to know when they're struggling, they can come to me with any problem that they're facing. And I want to be there for them. And I want them to feel the freedom to express sadness or fear or anger. I don't want to shut down. I'm like, interesting. So what you want for your kiddo you're giving yourself a pass that you didn't need that. And it's the way that we kind of trick our brain into thinking, well, I didn't need that because I turned out okay. Well, in reality, when a child, you know, this comes into my psychology and my uh, training, my background and training is around trauma and abuse. And when we look at the word emotional neglect, abuse is getting something that we didn't want, but we got it anyway. Neglect is not getting the thing that we need to thrive. So abuse is getting what we didn't want. Neglect is not getting the thing that we needed. And when we look at emotional attunement and connection, as a child, children need emotional attunement. They need to know, help them understand what they feel, how they feel, safe places to get that out. And if they're shamed or called a sissy every time they say they're sad or scared, that is not an emotionally healthy environment. And that would be defined as emotional neglect and not getting the safe environment. And that has, we know from trauma research, that has a huge impact on relationships. And I'll just say, Max, for all the high performers out there, trauma and emotional neglect on the brain is one of the most um, disruptive things that impacts performance. Because performance comes out of a physical energy, emotional energy, and the prefrontal cortex, which is built on the front of the brain. When we have deep emotional pain or we have issues that are unresolved emotionally, it pulls us down into our lower emotional brain and it actually takes the prefrontal cortex, pops it offline. So your inability to stay focused, regulated, long-term thinking is really hijacked if you're not dealing with what's going on emotionally. Now, a lot of leaders are going to hear that and be like, you know, I don't see that show up in my life. I'll just say this. Go back to your spouse or your kids and ask them if they think that you're okay. Ask them if they think that you should do some work emotionally and relationally, and if you need help to express what you feel in a healthy and vulnerable way. And I can guarantee you, nine times out of 10, that spouse or that kiddo or that friend will say, dude, you need to do some work because you never express what you feel or you're emotionally immature in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Our, our view of ourselves is so tainted. We just think we're okay. Ask the people closest to you, and they're going to give you a pretty good reflection on how you're actually doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was a, a quote, actually, I posted it today uh, on LinkedIn, and it had to do, like, you're, you'll get into more scientific terms, but for me, you know, when I read about, you know, the human, we're wi hardwired. Yeah, for survival. Yeah, for survival and not to really perform. So the quote was, uh, success is never owned. It's always rented and rent is due every day. 
And the reason mm. why I like that is like you do have to kind of hardwire yourself every day to do the things that make it you a little uncomfortable in order to succeed. But the part that like I'm not, I don't naturally think about, and I think leaders don't naturally think about, is the emotional work on that side. Yeah. So when I yeah. think that, I think about oh, I've got to do like the business work, and I mean obviously mm-hmm. I do now because I've worked with you, but and we're talking about it, so it's clear. But I think it's just an interesting point is that your you know, the brain is hardwired not necessarily to help you unless you you know you actually create new pathways and new um you know new rewirings in order to make it your friend absolutely and i remember when i came and spoke to your ypo group max and i've spoken to a lot of other groups one of the things that we process there is you know, when i get someone up in a chair they start processing and they say you know i'm just not that emotional and I go, well, hold on a second. You're not that emotional or you've told yourself you're not allowed to be emotional. And most times, you know, tears will come out or we'll touch on something where that emotion comes out. And I have to let them know, especially these men who are high performers. I think you are way more emotional and way more relational than you even think you are or that you allow yourself to be. And how much emotional energy are you using to hold all that on the inside? all that sense of fear or anxiety or relational tension and you having to hide that and kind of push that down. Think about how much emotional energy you use hiding all that. If you could free up that energy and actually use that towards vision and motivation and purpose and meaning and success, oh my goodness, like there's their energy reserves right there. So exactly kind of what you're saying, if you don't do this work, your emotional capacity, which we have a tank and when that tank is empty, it is done. Your emotional capacity, how much of that capacity are you using by hiding what you feel when really you could free that up and actually use that to pursuing success and purpose and meaning? Mm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Something to ponder there. Talk about, you know, you've touched on this a little bit, but I don't know if we can talk about it enough. Maybe it's just uh, something that uh, I know that I have dealt with and I know a lot of other leaders deal with, but the challenge of, trying to separate your identity from performance. And for me, it's a, it's a combination of both from a business perspective and a physical perspective. Like if I'm not perfect sometimes, if I, if I don't think about it and be like, hey, there's a lot of other things in life. I've got healthy kids and healthy relationships and great friends and family. But if I don't, if I just let myself go down the rabbit hole and like I'll miss a workout and maybe not, you know, won't make as much progress on the professional side, like I'm kind of hard on myself. And, and so it's really hard for me to uncouple that and, you know, kind of separate and be like, no, listen, I made the decision. This was actually yesterday to go out late mm-hmm. last night. So I decided not to work out this morning. That was the plan. Yeah. But I still feel like crap for not even working out this morning. But right. about because you see this a lot. I'm sure we've talked about it. You've, you've touched on it. Talk about that uh, challenge that, that most people are facing, especially high performing leaders. Well, I think you, I think you nailed it when your identity is built around your performance, not performing, you lose a sense of, of purpose and meaning. And here's the reality. When I sit down and I meet with leaders, if we have them pause and slow down, boredom is like the worst word in the world for these high performers. They hate being bored. And here's why. When you're bored and when you slow down and you just sit there, you have to start feeling what you've been running from. 
So when you're bored and you pause, you have to start feeling what you've been running away from. So in a way, our performance is just another way that we keep running away from ourselves. But here's the problem. If you ask most leaders and you say, give me, uh, and they're like, I really want to be successful. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it's this amount of money. Okay. Do you think if you get that amount of money, you're going to be content there or are you going to want more? And they're like, oh, I'm going to want more. Okay, well, what's what's success then? The bar, you realize this idea of success, when it's not boxed and defined, which it never is because it's just a pursuit of more out of life. But why? When it's not boxed and it's not defined, that bar keeps going up and keeps going up and keeps going up and keeps going up. When really the issue there is that leaders never feel like they're enough. That is the emotional pain that most leaders, and that's an emotional pain that I've had to work through in my life, coming from my background, doing two master's degrees at the same time, having three jobs with a baby at home, trying to make life happen for myself. I believed that when I perform, people want to be around me. And if I struggle, and if I'm weak, or if I'm scared, why in the world would people want to be around me? I'm only enough when I'm giving something to people, when I'm proving myself to people. And that caused me to live in this constant cycle of, well, when I get here, and when I get here, and when I get here, and then I look back on life and I'm like, oh my gosh, I missed the last 10 years of my life of actually enjoying my kids, enjoying what life has for me today. If you're always reaching for what's next, you can never enjoy what is today. And to be fully present in the present means that you don't fear what is inside of yourself. So to be fully present, you can't fear what is inside of yourself. And oftentimes what leaders fear is a feeling of not being enough. And if I'm not enough, people will leave me. Okay, It's always about like abandonment. It's always about people leaving. And they learn that their performance is what gets them accolades. It gets them eyeballs. It gets them people liking them. What if their money went away? What if their company went away? You know, who would actually be there left for them? And uh, that's really sad because these leaders are amazing people uh, outside of their success and performance. They're extremely gifted individuals. They are very talented. They have great hearts. They have great character, but they've spent so much time locking identity into doing that they don't know how to just be and they're missing out on the beauty of life. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah, that that got me thinking. I mean, I've always thought of, I think everybody's heard this term that, you know, happiness is uh, something that uh, ensues, meaning like if you're chasing happiness, usually those people aren't happy. It's something that like naturally happens because you have meaning in something else. But if I back all the way up, you can chase performance and actually get like, you can perform and still not be happy. We call it, there's a, you know, especially with our high performance community. You have these ultra-driven leaders who are trying to level up in every area, physical, mental, emotional, financial, like they're just trying to be better in every capacity. And yet, if you really dig down, they don't know why they're doing that. And they don't know when it will be enough. That's why they try 50 different supplements, 50 different therapies, 50. They're just trying to look for the next thing. And that's not freedom to me. I think most leaders, one word that they've used to describe the life that they want is freedom. 
I'm sorry, but that doesn't describe a life of freedom. That describes a life of enslavement, that you have to have those things in order to feel a sense of calm and peace. For me, like when I talk about pursue whole and not needing that, or like financially, I'm, I'm good right now. Like I would love to have like this massive company and all this money and all these things. But to me, that is really a cherry on top. Me and my wife, we grew up in, we grew up not knowing how to pay our mortgage 10 years ago when we first got married. We grew up in the dinkiest little house. You know, we didn't have anything. And you know what? I was so happy. I was happy. Now I was stressed. You know, there's stress that comes with that, but I was happy. I love my marriage. I love my kid. I love where I'm at. So when we got money, when we got all those nice things, it wasn't something to make me feel happy. It was like a cherry on top of what I already had. And that is the freedom that I have in Pursue Whole that I really want Pursue Whole to be huge. I want to amass a lot of success and a lot of growth. And I want to be the best version of myself. But I don't need that. I want it, but I don't need it to be content. And that is the key to feeling a sense of freedom to get to choose to want it, but not have to have it to feel enough. Gosh, man, uh, so powerful. Talk about um, in you know, this pursuit that most people have, you know, where they're trying to level up in every part of their life, which guilty to a certain extent, you know, I think that's yeah. <laughs> definitely me. But talk about, um, you know, the, the feeling, I think, where leaders, and this is kind of a common thing I more people are talking about now, but, you know, dissatisfaction, exhaustion in life, burnout in business, those types of things. Yeah. Like, why is this happening more or is, are people just more aware of it? Are there, are there, are there mm. exterior factors uh, or external factors right now in the world that are fueling this fire that we're starting to see a little bit more? I kind of want to get your perspective on it since you're hearing it background. So, so important. I mean, I worked, uh, I started my business before COVID and Pursue Whole, and I got to see a lot of leaders move through COVID. And I mean, the last three years have been crippling for leaders in so many ways. Uh, they disconnected from family, from themselves, from people. And I think the thing that, that the last couple of years have done to leaders is it's just completely exhausted them emotionally, physically, and spiritually and mentally. It's just taken everything from them. I feel like the last couple of years has been like a, a layers of mud and junk thrown on top of leaders that now they're trying to trudge through this kind of mucky mud life. Um, and I don't say this general, I say this very generally, but I do think there's so much going on in the world, so much heaviness, so much weight that it feels like we're treading through mud. It doesn't feel like we're sprinting on a track field, freedom. Uh, we're treading through mud and that requires more emotional energy. It requires more physical energy. Leaders are tapped now more than ever. And that's why I think prioritizing your emotional and relational health is key because you can't perform like you used to in this type of environment. The other thing, uh, I think this is something I realized a couple of weeks ago with a client I was talking to. The way we think about time allocation. So for a leader to think about working 40 hours a week. I think for every one hour that a leader puts in, it's really two hours for the general population. When you think about what you have to carry, the amount of weight that is on your shoulders, what is required of you, how much pressure there is, how much demand there is, how many things to manage and balance, one hour for a leader is really two. So if you're doing a 40-hour work week, think of it more as an 80-hour work week. And that's really important because I think, you know, for me, I scheduled in 
Every other Thursday, I leave the office. At 12 o'clock, I go get a massage every other Thursday for an hour and a half. And then I have vision time for two hours at the coffee shop where I just think about vision for my life, vision for a company. And I really get to dream in that time. But that's my time away from the grind. My hours have dropped because I chose to simply because the amount of emotional toll that's required now is, is heavy. And I think leaders should think about that. And what does your work week look like? Don't allocate one hour for one hour. Allocate one hour for two hours and think through how to maybe take a day off, how to maybe take a half day every once in a while, um, because it's just a very difficult time and season. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think another thing that I get guilty of is um, I think leaders, or at least I'll talk about myself, I think we uh, overestimate the amount of stuff we can do in a small amount of time and under underestimate what we can do in a long period of time if we organize our thoughts like you're talking about, which I think everybody's guilty of. In fact, I use a Panda Planner. There's only five priorities on this list. And like mm-hmm. I have to every day consciously say, all right, once I get these in here, I might have like one or two you know, things pop up that I have to deal with. But if I don't stay like on top of it, I'll just let this list continue to get bigger and bigger. And then at the end of the day, I feel like I really didn't get that much done. And that's even more exhausting is the feeling of you just ran on a treadmill and you didn't go anywhere. Totally. And that happens, I think, Max kind of what you're describing there, that happens most when you don't know who we are and where we're headed because then we fill our schedule with things, but we don't fill it with purposeful, essential things. That's why this kind of five-year vision that we work leaders through, everything comes out of this, the way they schedule their day, who they hire, how they build their company. So when they have this big vision, I have them go back to their companies and their teams and their families and say, what needs to change to align with my vision? It's a very essential way of thinking. But like you're saying, we have to prioritize the essentials. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about, um, because I think this is kind of feeding right into it, but you talked about uh, the leadership traits to survive a recession. And I think for some people, that's, you know, that's happening for them. It just depends on what type of business they're in. Specifically, um, you know, you talked about uh, resiliency, I think curiousness. And if I'm not mistaken, it was like having a long-term perspective. But get into specifically resiliency and grit and the difference between the two because I think that comes back or gets me back to all the work that we've done together and that you do with everybody else is like that 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 exact thing of understanding what the difference between resiliency and grit is really what can help leaders understand what's going on with them emotionally. So tell me a little bit about that in our audience. Yeah, it's a really important discussion because high performers love the word grit because they think that it has a badge of honor. It's like, I worked 70 hours this week, badge of honor. I don't, I'm busy, badge of honor. I'm a gritty person, badge of honor. Grit is about survival. It is like military-esque. You're in a battle zone and you hunker down and tighten up and muscle through. That is not a life of flourishing. That is a life of survival to get through something. And there are seasons and windows of life where I have to be super gritty. There might be a week where I'm just working 70 hours a week and I have to make that happen. There might be a season. I got to be super gritty. But don't mistake windows and seasons for lifestyle. If you have a lifestyle of grit, that is the problem. Having windows and moments of grit, everybody has to have those. But grit is much more about making it through and surviving. Resiliency is really uh, about 
uh, if you think about a basketball, you bounce it down and it pops back up. Resilience is this idea and this belief in who you are as a person that when I get knocked down, I believe that I have the intuition, the strength, and the courage inside of myself to keep getting back up, and I have the community around me who's going to keep cheering me forward. It is an acknowledgement that we then beat down. It's an acknowledgement that it's hard and it's stressful and I'm lonely or I'm tired. It's an acknowledgement of emotion, but it is still a belief and a courage in that, that we will make it through. Where grit is pushing down emotion and ignoring it, resiliency is owning emotion, facing it, and then believing that we have the courage to keep going. Very different. Um, and resiliency is tied to way higher outcomes of physical and emotional health and grit and always pushing down emotion. You see those people and they're just chronically ill all the time, neurobiologically, phys- physically, mentally. They're just ill all the time because the stress toll that that takes on the body to hold in that much energy emotion is, is, is off the charts. That's why if you go see your naturopath or your doctor, your adrenal glands are probably shot, not only because you're working too much, but because you're trying to hold in all of this emotional energy that's not built to be held in and it's making you sick and it's making you ill. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things, again, I was kind of doing a little research and it reminded me of some of the work that we've done, but also the the counter to that is real good relationships, I think too. You know what I mean? It's just, that's that's what I'm thinking. I think it's a, uh, that's the first thing I popped up as you're saying that is, hey, you also have to have good relationships and be resilient, and you know that's kind of the the cure that makes oh, yeah. you better. Both, you know, makes your brain healthier too. I mean, there's that Robert Walden oh. TED talk. Have you ever seen that? I'm actually doing a 10 minute talk, and it's based off of that talk and how we interview people and talk about relationships and interactions, which I'll get into later or a different time with you, but. Um, I just think it's fascinating, um, you know, in this day and age for people to understand that because you're right. Everybody thinks that, you know, grit, being gritty and just, you know, shoving it down and making it through is going to get you. And for those people, I'll just say this. They might like to be gritty. Once again, go home and ask your children and your spouse if they like you pushing down emotion working 70 hours a week, ask them if that's actually what wholeness means to them. And here's the issue. Leaders can be so egotistical that they just think what's in it for me. You got to think about your family. That is your primary responsibility. Don't have a family and don't have kids if you're not willing to prioritize those people in your life. Don't prioritize team members or some random person that you've never met over your family. Get the priorities straight and ask them, is my lifestyle and the way that I deal with my emotion bringing flourishing in our family or is it bringing decay? And I can guarantee you grittiness is going to result in a lot of decay, disconnection, and um, loneliness in the family. And, and the family, if you want to perform well at work, and Max, you probably see this all the time with your leaders you work with, if you want to perform well at work, I can't tell you how much emotional weight when things are not good at home it's really hard for them to be going well at business and leadership. When you got your spouse and your guys are arguing or going hard or you got kids with issues, it's really hard to be present and perform well at work. 100%. That goes kind of into my theory about uh, the talk I want to give based on, and I don't know if this is even legal, by the way. So if somebody's listening to this and they're you know, thinking about it, is would HR approve this? I actually don't know. 
But I have done this where I ask for, tell me your three closest personal relationships and tell me why they're, they're your closest personal and then tell me what a good interaction looks like. And then on the professional side, I have to do the same thing. And there's one thing that has never happened for me is you would think somebody could just make information up and like kind of make up a relationship. But for some, I haven't had that happen. They don't naturally think about that because they don't know it's coming for one. And the thing that I've never seen happen is somebody that doesn't have healthy relationships personally but they have a bunch professionally. Now, what I could say is I have seen where the personal, the professional relationships are also, the personal relationships was also a little bit of a concern sometimes, just mm. depends again. But I want to get into, I know you're a super humble person, but I want to get dig into some of the things that you do personally, like personal habits, daily rituals, routines that have helped you be successful in what you do. And, and I think, you know, given what you do as a craft, and the training you've been through and all the people that you've coached, I think hearing what you do personally uh, will be uh, impactful for a yeah. lot of people because I think it works. Absolutely. And like I said, everything that I'm going to say here, I don't do this 100% of the time. And that's actually okay. That's part of my growth is to be gracious and compassionate with myself rather than critical when I don't do these well. And that's just part of growth. Um, but I will say this, one thing that I try to do consistently is one of my unique abilities is to fluidly transition between work and home. And I know that's really hard for a lot of leaders, but here's how I do that. On my way home, when I pull around the corner right here, I'm looking at my house right now. When I pull around this corner, before I pull into the garage, I shut off the music and I set intentions for how I want to show up in the home. How do I want to emotionally show up when I walk through that door? I will leave behind all the stress and all the chaos. I'll leave it in the car. I'll physically think about it like staying in the car. And when I get out of the car, I'm preparing myself emotionally for how do I want to feel when I come in the house. Now, when I come in my house, I have three little boys. It could be a whirlwind in my house. Like It could be crazy. People could be fighting, hitting each other, kids screaming, houses and mess. It just is what it is. And I'm okay with that. But if I'm not in a good emotional space, I'll come in and I'll start feeling frustrated. And I'll start cleaning things and start, I won't even acknowledge my family. But when I set an intention, when I pull into the garage, I, I can walk in with that mood state prepped. And I go to every single person in my family, my wife and my three boys, and I have them look at me in the eyes. I give them a kiss and I say, I love them. And then what I'll typically do um, is I'll go and I'll change into some more comfortable clothes because that's my kind of transition physically to kind of be more comfortable. And, you know, last night, my boys wanted to throw the ball in the house. So I just threw the ball in the house and I wasn't really thinking about work or we go outside and we play Frisbee quite a bit or we go on a walk. Transitioning between work and home is something that I try to try to do really frequently. Um the other thing is with my big vision, I try to look at this pretty frequently. I have this in my office. So when I get lost and I get stressed and confused, I'll just pull it down and I'll read through it and I'll do some breathing around it, some meditation around it, try to connect with myself emotionally. Um, and then the last thing, my wife is really important to me. Um, we try to prioritize dates and we try to prioritize time together really frequently. My wife is my best friend. We've worked really hard through probably 10 years of therapy to get there. So don't just think like, oh, Andy's the emotional coach and like he just automatically has a great marriage. No, we worked really freaking hard to have an intimate, close marriage. 
And uh, she's my best friend. So we spend a lot of time talking through the day and the stresses. And that's a huge uh, space of resiliency for me at where I can offload things and I can be there for her emotionally. And we enjoy each other's presence. And I know that's a rarity for um, leaders, but we've worked really hard at that. So there's been those three or four things right now in life are big anchors for me and how I stay emotionally healthy. Man, those are uh, those are great ones. Incredible. Incredible. And uh, you also physically, you know, stay in pretty good shape all the time. Oh, yeah. I love I love exercise. Uh, we always talk about that. Love exercise, love physical health. And exercise, being a personal trainer, has always been a part of just who I am. For me, not to exercise is like, I'm not Andy. Andy exercises. I take care of my body and my health. That's just who I am. And I love doing it. Um, so if when I don't exercise, I'll tell you my mood state is very different. Exercise is a huge anchor for me. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I, I with me as well. Well, we normally go into the final segment, but I, I don't. I want to be uh, cognizant of your time, and we can do this again. That's the great thing. But the next time we do this, I'm going to go into the final segment that we do, which is around relentless learning, developing others, and driving results. But we talked about so many different things that are going to help the audience. That I think we can save it for the next time. And okay, let's definitely grateful. do it again. Yeah, for sure. I'm just grateful to have you uh, on here. Uh, if you guys want to, in order to find Andy and his company, it's pursuehold.com, correct? Yep, correct. Pursuehold.com, Andy Maurer. Give him a follow on LinkedIn too. He's starting to post like today. I already had it to talk about the difference between grit and, um, Resiliency. And resiliency, yeah. And it, he posted it. So I was like, we're kind of on the same page, talking about the same things. So give him a follow. Andy, I, I can't thank you enough. I look forward to obviously continuing the relationship. But I, I love that we uncovered that a lot of times our clients are, we have the same clients and we're, we're helping with them with different issues. Uh, totally. Probably more you know emotional and deeper. Uh, but uh, it's fun to stay in contact with you, share clients. Totally. It's it's fun to continue to meet people that have worked with you because uh, I, I feel like I really have something in common with them. So we'll continue to do that. And I'll just say this, Max, for you. Uh, I really look up to you as a person to prioritize what matters most. You've done a lot of work there. Really proud of you. Um, and I, uh, you talk about this, but I frequently send clients to you on the uh, team dynamics and the the hiring because I just know you're going to crush it, knock it out of the park. And I know you're an emotionally healthy leader. I love thinking up leaders who've done this work all kind of have some of the same lens and language. And those are leaders I trust the most because I know they've had to face themselves, feel what's inside. And honestly, those are some of the best leaders. So thank you for doing that work. Oh, of course. And thank you for giving me the tool set to continue to work on it because it's a, it's a work on progress. So Appreciate your time today. You have been listening to the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen brought to you by Scouts. You can find all of our past and future podcasts at Wisecouts.com. Thanks again, Andy. You're amazing. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.